Okay, well this is round four for us, so it's been a great day. I hope you're all having a great day, and uh, thanks for sticking with, with us till the end of the afternoon. So we're going to talk about some different uses for ketamine. Ketamine, as you know, is becoming very popular. We've been using it in the emergency department for quite a long time. I started my pediatric emergency fellowship in 1989, and I didn't even know what ketamine was. I'd done a pediatric residency, and I came in, and that was still when we were seeing septic shock before we had pneumococcal vaccines and uh, Hib vaccines, and, and uh, my fellow critical care fellows and PZM fellows were just bopping everyone with IM ketamine, so I started doing it too, having no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and, um, been using it ever since. It's one of my favorite drugs, but there's a lot of new uses for it now, which we'll, which we'll talk about. And it's kind of becoming our go-to drug. Um, we don't really have any disclosures, but we are involved with something called the Pain Assessment and Management Initiative. And many of the materials and information we have in our slides is, is from that site. There's a website. It's listed in your references. And we have a uh, dosing, a PAMI dosing guide and it breaks down ketamine with all the different usages. So the dosing tables you will see here are from the PAMI dosing guide. And we've got some cards up here at the website if you want it for after. It's nothing commercial. We're not selling anything. Um, it's, it's a free access educational site. So again, we're going to talk a little bit about the dosing and routes of administration for ketamine uh, in adults and children and the new use for subdissociative dose analgesia and talk about some of the patient safety concerns and uh, again, some of the new usages. So to start with, we're going to go over a little bit about the, uh, the background of some of the ED pain management challenges that we have. And I think it will show you and highlight why ketamine is so popular in our setting. This is the first year that Pain Week has had an ED track, so we're very excited about that. But we know that, that some of you work in the emergency department, but others of you work in different settings. So. We'll just go over a few highlights. And if you've been to any of our other talks, we've gone over some of these same barriers, so just bear with me. We'll go through them really quick. But one, pain is something we treat very commonly. 50 to 70% of all the patients we see that come into the emergency department have some type of pain complaint. It's a common reason why patients come into us by rescue. We see a lot of acute and chronic pain. And many times the things we're doing, procedures we're doing, cause pain. So we're looking for the wonder drug to help us relieve that pain. It's also very difficult to take a good history and physical when the patient's in pain. And we're trying to balance analgesia and sedation with the adverse effects from medications at the extremes of age. So we may be seeing everything from a toddler with a fracture that we need to sedate for reduction uh, to an elder patient. Uh, with a lot of comorbidities and chronic illnesses, you know, to a 30-year-old with sickle cell pain. Uh, another reason is that many of the patients that come to us in the emergency department have already, they've exhausted all their means. They've used other medications, so they're coming to us for something else than what they're already using. And hopefully, although if you read about some of the recent um, deaths and some of our stars in the world, um, ho hopefully most patients are not using ketamine at home, but you just never know what, what might come on the uh, internet market next. So ketamine is something different that we can offer that's not being used at home. Um, we also deal with um, patients that are um, sometimes very difficult to manage, uh, a lot of mental illness, substance abuse, comorbidities, and we have the whole opioid crisis going on, and we're trying to determine is someone a drug seeker or their pain legitimate, and ketamine offers us another option. Again, we work in a very overall error-prone environment, 
we often use the same drug for multiple conditions. And ketamine is one of those drugs, and it's very important to realize that there are different dosages for ketamine depending on what you're using it for. So it's really important to understand why you're using it and in what context. So we're trying to deal with all those barriers why dealing with the opioid addiction crisis. We're under tremendous pressure to move patients. You know, our administrators, the people that pay us, they want us to move patients. We are graded, uh, which has a big financial impact on how fast we see patients. So we're doing all of that and dealing sometimes with life-threatening diseases. So we're all looking for that perfect drug. And um, ketamine has its pros and its cons, which we'll go through, but so far it's one of the best options that we have. So I'm a big history buff, so we're going to talk a little bit about the history of, of pain management in the ED and ketamine. So this, uh, this is from my collection, a big antique collector. This is from, I think it's Harper's Bazaar in like 1886 or something, and that's back when you had, you know, the country doctor that would go home, and you know, if we were back in Civil War times, there was the tincture of opium or laudanum, and, and they would just, you know, go to the home and deliver it. And then this next photo I took in New Orleans back in May at the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine meeting, and we're advertising pain medications right next to New Orleans Pralines, beer and wine, and I'm an I'm a LSU, Louisiana girl. So just to have that in there to start us off for the history. So how did we develop our ED analgesia and pain experience? And it started back with us really treating chronic pain. We treat sickle cell disease, cancer, migraines. Really didn't have much to use back then. You know, we had morphine. Um, we started doing procedural sedation in the late 80s, especially in children with some adults. And then we would intubate patients to put them on ventilators with something we call rapid sequence induction. We would often have to give some of these same drugs for sedation and pain in order to, to intubate them. So that's really kind of how our experience started. And um, back when, again, when I started uh, my training in the, in the 80s, there was really bruticaine and there was something called DPT. So those of you that are older in the audience will remember this. So DPT stood for Demerol, Finergan, and Thorazine. So what better way to treat someone than to throw three drugs into one <laughs> syringe and give them an IM injection? But that was, that was the way things were then. It was called uh, a lytic cocktail, a cardiac cocktail. We started out using DPT for cardiac catheterizations for different procedures, and we soon found that there were a lot of problems. Very prolonged emergency department stays, extrapyramidal symptoms, lethargy. So it was really started to be called into question in the 1990s, and we were, you know, searching for something else. Kind of in the late 80s, I can still remember when um, midazolam or Versed came on the market, um, because whenever there was pediatric procedure day or something like GI clinic, there would usually be a code blue call to the, um, the GI lab or whatever lab where they were giving midazolam. So everyone was very happy to have some other options, but there was very limited monitoring at that time and limited accountability. So there's a big call for something else. So in 1995, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out an article on, you know, we need to relook at this whole lytic cocktail DPT. And their um, solution was, their summary statement was that there are newer drugs that should be being used, and ketamine was one of those drugs. And about the same time, Joint Commission said, hey, we're seeing a lot of problems out there. We better put some uh, precautions in place. So the bottom line with that story is that ketamine has been very popular for pediatrics for a long time when using it for dissociative sedation. So it's very important to know what type 
uh, of um, treatment you're doing with the ketamine. And this happened about the same time that pediatric emergency medicine was growing as a specialty. And it was great because we could give it IM or IV, and children are sometimes very difficult to obtain an IV in, had a rapid onset and a short half-life, and it, you know, they were amnestic, they had sedation and analgesia. So there were there have been several American College of Emergency Physician practice guidelines for ED dissociative sedation, which is basically a policy on using ketamine. And I always thought of it, you know, the preceding this 2011 policy, there are numerous contraindications. So the way I would teach about ketamine or think about it is ketamine increases all your pressures, your blood pressure, your, you know, your uh, ocular pressure, your gastric pressure. So at that time, things like glaucoma were a contraindication, head trauma was a contraindication. Well, if you can't use a drug on a trauma patient, that's a big problem for us in the emergency department setting. But in 2011, there was a clinical practice update. And uh, these um, authors that are listed here have published numerous <coughs> articles on ketamine. They are the ketamine and the ED gurus. And so this update was great because it was a revision of the 2004 guidelines, and they found that several of the prior recommendations were completely disproved, and that there is now sufficient ED research in adults to support extension of ketamine beyond the use in, in children. So if you look at the 2011 policy, and if you download the, um, the PDF, the handout for this lecture, we have a ton of references, and this reference is in there. So the only absolute contraindications now are schizophrenia and age less than three months. So head trauma was removed as a relative contraindication unless you were concerned about a CNS mass or hydrocephalus. So it really opened the door for us to use it in all ages and in trauma patients. So a much larger group we could use it on. Um, this is just a little bit of a historical timeline about ketamine. Again, it first was synthesized in the 1960s. And I can remember there was a period in the 1980s, a lot of vets were using it. We were having veterinary offices broken into to try to get ketamine. And, um, you know, then we started using it here. And then, then in the 2000s, you know, it's being looked at for a lot of different things. And some of those things Dr. Shake is going to talk about, some of the newer usages for ketamine. So a little bit about the pharmacology. Uh, it produces blockade of the NMDA receptors, peripheral sodium channels, and mu opioid receptors. So again, one of the good things is it gives us sedation, amnesia, and analgesia. It's very highly lipid-soluble, so it uh, crosses the blood-brain barrier rapidly, and they have a rapid recovery to baseline. So those are all things we want to see in the emergency department. So again, it's commonly used in dissociative anesthesia, and dissociative amnesia, I'm sorry. And what you see with that, and you really, especially in children, you have to warn the parents is, you know, they'll look like they're awake. They'll get a, you give the drug, they'll have a little bit of nystagmus, and I always tell the parents you're gonna look like they're in a trance. So they're, you know, they're awake, so there's a kind of a dissociation there. So very different than when you're giving it in a sub-dissociative dose for, for pain management. So with all this popularity, then um, ketamine started being used in lower dosages and sub-dissociative dosages um, in the military settings and as an adjunct to opioid analgesics or a solo uh, agent analgesic. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But historically what happens is when much of what happens in the ED starts in a military setting. That's really how EMS and EDs got started with the Vietnam War and some of the things they learned there with triage. 
And then the recent military activity we've had over the last 10 years, there's been a lot of usage of ketamine in the field that's made us feel more comfortable using it in the ED. So another big advantage of ketamine for us in the ED setting is we deal with a lot of critically ill, unstable patients. And ketamine usually preserves airway patency, usually does not cause hypotension. And so if you have someone that's got cardiovascular or respiratory instability, it's a good drug to use. One of the other big advantages is multiple routes. IM, IV, intranasal, PO, you can even give it rectally, but most patients do not like to get drugs rectally. So it's been, it's been tried in, in every route um, there is, and that's a, another advantage. Oh, good. This shows up better here than it does on my screen. So again, this is from the dosing guide that I mentioned, and you can go to our website and download it, and this just summarizes the different dosages so again, your procedural sedation dose is much higher than your subdissociative dose. And we're also using it for excited delirium in the ED, especially with all the synthetic drug overdoses we're seeing now. I know we're not here to talk about drug overdosages, but just to make the point, we use it for a lot of different indications in the ED, and they're all um, different dosages. So you have to be sure you know the correct dose. Um, these are some of the other indications for ketamine that I'll let Dr. Shake talk about in a few minutes. Some of the controversies that have come up with ketamine, over, or especially when we're using it for procedural sedation and the dissociative dose, is who can administer it. There are some EDs that would not allow their emergency physicians to use it. It can only be used by an anesthesiologist or only in the operating room. That's been relaxed. Most EDs uh, use ketamine pretty frequently. Some states, nurses are not allowed to give ketamine. So, you know, we had to get a special letter from the Florida Board of Nursing clarifying that nurses can give ketamine. And then what monitoring should you use? For procedural sedation, there's very clear joint commission guidelines, but when you're using ketamine for other indications, it's not very clear what type of monitoring you should have. And then what are the long-term effects of ketamine? So kind of the short version of why EDs love ketamine, it's fast, it's short-acting, using multiple routes, multiple uses, usually does not cause apnea or hypotension, and we have this comfort zone from using it for children for, you know, 25, 30 years. So it's kind of, hey, if it's safe for a kid, it must be okay for an adult. Um, just a few other comments about using it for procedural sedation, which is something that we commonly do in the emergency department. Um, what we're trying to do is is keep the patient still while we do and not injure themselves while we're doing some type of procedure. And so it may be something where they just need to be still or it may be something that's very painful. And these are just some of the indications, fracture reduction, burn, wound debridement, laceration repair, foreign body removal. So there's all different reasons why we do procedural sedation. One of the things we learned from using ketamine in a dissociative dose with procedural sedation is that it causes a lot of nausea and vomiting. So whenever I use ketamine, I always treat, pre-treat with Ondansetron or, or Zofran or some type of anti-emetic because the last thing you want is kind of a half-drunk kid coming out of ketamine vomiting all over you. And, and um, so we, we usually pre-treat for that. And you'll usually see a mild increase in heart rate and blood pressure, but it goes away. Very uncommon, we see laryngospasm, sometimes emergence reactions, sometimes nightmares. There's not as much concern over the emergence reactions now. And I find a lot of times what's happened is they wake up and maybe they are in a little bit of pain 
and it, they just wake up, they're in pain, they don't know where they are, and then if you give them a few minutes, or you know, 10 or 15 minutes, they'll get back to baseline. And sometimes that can be treated with a little Versed or um, midazolam that'll help. Um, there's been various combinations with ketamine. I personally like solo agents. To me, the more drugs you use, the more problems you're gonna have. But um, ED physicians, practitioners, we're kind of cowboys and cowgirls. We love to try new things and we love to use high dosages. And so uh, ketophol or ketamine and propofol were really popular for a while. And it's just kind of a personal preference of what you use, but you may see it in some combinations. So let's move on to subdissociative dose ketamine. So just note the dose here. It's a much lower dose. So it's about a tenth of the dose. We're just starting to, to get a lot of literature out on using this in the ED. So when we put together our dosing card, you know, first we had the max initial starting dose was 10 milligrams, then we went up to 20 milligrams. So you may see this gradually going up. Again, this is just kind of a safe starting dose and there's an IV, an IM, and an intranasal dose. Although the intranasal dose, there's huge variation, and uh, Dr. Sheik will talk about that. So why this new interest in subdissociative dose ketamine? Again, the military's used it very successful, and so it gives us another option during this opioid epidemic that we're having right now. We certainly don't want to lead to any more addiction, although that's a little controversial. Um, so we're looking for some other non-opioid treatments. We'd love to be opioid-free. That's not completely possible. Um, tomorrow, Dr. LaPietra is going to be talking about her alternatives to opioid program and the acute pain um, sessions. And she has subdissociative ketamine in some of her protocols. So we're kind of in this you know, balancing act with what we have available to use. Um, we're seeing it used also a lot in the preoperative and perioperative um, setting, and so that's even more literature that we can use. So there's really no better time than for us to start using subdissociative dose ketamine in the ED. This is a study from 2013, and they looked at reasons why physicians were not using ketamine in adults. And you can see the number one reason was the concern about emergence reactions or they had restrictions on use in their hospital. And I think if you did that survey today, you would find these numbers were really decreased because it's, it's being used like crazy in EDs across the country. So these are the four suggested uses for subdissociative dose ketamine and for analgesia. And I'm gonna turn it over now to Dr. Sheik. He's gonna be talking to you about use in acute pain and some other uh, reasons we use it. So now we're going to discuss some of the literature looking at ketamine uh, in the emergency department for pain. Uh, the first section we're going to talk about is acute pain. Uh, if you're following along in the PDF, you'll see there's a lot of slides um, that I'm actually not going to go over but are present in your PDF, and that's more for you to have um, the references and more details about the literature, about the, each study that I'm not going to go into. Um, so you can review that yourself at home. So there's been a lot of studies looking at ketamine and comparing it to uh, various opioids. Um, a lot of studies have tried to look at whether um, ketamine in combination with opioids um, or as a solo agent um, is equally as efficacious as, uh, as opioids, and we're going to review some of those studies right now. So <clears throat> when you use ketamine in combination with an opioid, um, several studies have found that it actually 
uh, works better than using an opioid on its own. The only downside is that there's a potential for higher uh, minor side effects like nausea and vomiting, um, and we'll go into more detail about these side effects a little bit later on. But probably the most important thing to know and probably the most important thing that ED physicians would be concerned um, or excited about is the fact uh, of this profound pain reduction that can occur when you use the combination product, uh, sorry, combination of ketamine and opioids compared to opioids alone. Um, there's almost, uh, the literature shows that most of the time ketamine is able to reduce a patient's pain scores within five minutes. And that's huge, especially when you're uh, rapidly trying to turn over patients um, and disposition them. Uh, some other studies have looked at comparing just ketamine um, to opioids, uh, not in combination, or perhaps in combination with other, um, with anxiolytics, uh, to see what their efficacy would be just compared um, on, on its own to an opioid. And they actually found, um, although it may not be better than an opioid, it's as effective um, for certain traumatic injuries. Again, though, note the side effects. Ketamine group had a higher uh, rate of side effects, such as dizziness, nausea, vomiting, and other psychomimetric effects. Uh, a study that was published in 2015 uh, found a little different, a slightly different conclusion. Um, ketamine was able to produce uh, pretty good um, analgesic effects in patients. However, when you looked at the maximum reduction of pain scores, morphine did much better uh, than ketamine did. So when you're looking at just the, the pure percentage of the maximum reduction, opiates might still fare better than ketamine. But look at the time it took to achieve that. For a maximum reduction in pain score when you use ketamine, it's five minutes compared to 100 minutes for morphine. So again, in our environment, in the ED, when you're trying to rapidly uh, go through patients and disposition them, ketamine is a very good option uh, for select patients. So what dose should we give our patients? Uh, a study in 2014 tried to compare different uh, dosing regimens uh, to see what the best uh, regimen would be. They found that a dose of 0.3 milligrams per kilogram was more effective um, than some of the other dosing regimens that they tried. Again, minor adverse events were noted, um, a little bit higher with the higher dosing of ketamine, but again, they were all transient and pretty minor side effects. Uh, a review of four randomized control trials in the emergency department um, with very different methodologies. Uh, two were trauma uh, cases, uh, trauma uh, studies, two were in pediatric uh, population, uh, one used ketamine infusion. Uh, I think another two was comparing ketamine to morphine. Um, another compared ketamine to fentanyl. So it was very difficult to compare these studies because the methodology was so different. Um, but the end result was, was pretty mixed. Um, they weren't really, the, the authors, uh, after studying these four different trials, weren't really able to find convincing evidence to either support or refute ketamine's use. Um, but when the study that did show that there was um, a good analgesic effect with the use of ketamine, again, they found that it produced uh, a pain reduction within five minutes. So for select patients, this is a good option for us to consider. Um, the other important uh, uh, finding was that 
um, subdistensive dose ketamine can play a role in reducing the amount of opioids that you potentially could be using. So one, it may reduce the amount of opioids that you're overall prescribing for a particular patient, and it may be able to achieve a faster um, or a better improvement in their pain uh, more quickly. So bottom line, subdistensive dose ketamine can play a role um, in certain patients, especially as it, when used as an adjunct. Um, or in patients who have failed monotherapy, which is opioids. Um, 0.3 milligram per kilogram dosing uh, has been shown to be better than 0.1 milligram per kilogram dosing, lower risk of side effects. Um, it may reduce your overall opioid consumption. Um, and again, it produces a shorter um, time or shorter reduction um, to pain um, compared to morphine. So the next section that we're gonna talk about are ketamine infusions in the ED. So ketamine fugitives is not a new concept. It's been around since the 1980s, pretty popular in the perioperative setting, but it's pretty new when it comes to its use in the emergency department. Um, various studies have recommended um, different dosing regimens, um, anywhere between 0.1 to 0.25 milligram per kilogram bolus, followed by a 0.2 to 1 milligram per kilogram per hour infusion. A small case series um, looking at 14 patients with acute pain um, or acute on chronic pain um, looked at, the, at whether a ketamine infusion would be better um, than just ketamine on its own or opioids. And they found that 79% of patients actually had significant improvements in their pain. Again, a pretty small study, but 11 out of the 14 showed a significant improvement in their pain. Um, these patients had, were patients who had failed opioid therapy um, or, um, and or were patients who were chronically on opioids at home. So again, a different patient population, not for everybody, but a certain subset of the population, ketamine infusions may be a good choice. They also found that instead of bolusing um, the ketamine, if you were to give it over 10 minutes, they were able to lower the risk of side effects. Um, so doing a, a, you know, bolusing, giving it over 10 minutes followed by the infusion was better than just doing a straight bolus and then the infusion. Um, another study, a little bit larger than the last, um, but still only 38 patients, uh, found that uh, ketamine infusion was equivalent to giving IV morphine. Um, there were a pretty high rate of psychometric effects that were reported, um, and most of the patients were, that did uh, uh, report these effects, they said it was bothersome. However, 84% said they would still uh, receive, would like to receive ketamine again in the future. Uh, and probably the reason for this is the authors of this study uh, forewarned patients before they gave the ketamine, they told them, hey, you're probably going to feel like this. Don't be alarmed, this is a natural side effect. So just giving that little bit of communication, just forewarning the patient um, helped out a lot, and 84% of the patients who experienced these uh, psychometric effects were still okay and happy with their treatment and were willing to receive ketamine again in the future. Uh, the study also brought up an interesting idea about ketamine responders. They noted that a small subset of their population um, after receiving ketamine had almost total um, reduction in their pain scores to nearly zero to one. <clears throat> and um, they put forth this idea that maybe um, there may be some either metabolic or pharmacogenetic um, component to how patients are metabolizing ketamine, and these certain patients, our so-called ketamine responders, um, were able to receive such dramatic um, analgesic effects. 
compared to other patients. So who should we consider ketamine infusions in? The ideal population, um, you know, there's still limited data out there, but probably the patients that we should consider, the ones who might benefit from, uh, from using infusions on in the ED, are those with undifferentiated abdominal pain, uh, those with trauma, musculoskeletal injuries, sickle cell patients, cancer patients, and those with known opioid tolerance. And probably that last one is probably um, really the key population that we should consider using ketamine infusions in. Let's talk about intranasal ketamine. So intranasal medications in general are very popular in the ED. Uh, you know, we see a lot of patients who are difficult IV access patients, pediatric patients, those on dialysis, sickle cells, patients who frequently um, are coming into the hospital getting multiple IV sticks. So if we can deliver a medication that will control our patient's pain, uh, be effective, uh, and that we don't have to start an IV on, at least not initially, something that buys us time, is something that's very ideal for the ED environment. The only drawback to intranasal medications um, and with ketamine is we don't know what the exact dose um, the patient will be receiving. You know, an atomizer will help distribute the ketamine, so it'll improve your systemic absorption, but in reality, when you give a medication IV, um, you know, we know we have a better idea. We know that almost all of it will be systemically absorbed. But for intranasal medications and IM medications, sub-Q medications, um, that's not always the case. So as Dr. Henry mentioned earlier, the range for intranasal ketamine that's been reported in the literature is pretty wide. Um, anywhere between 0.5 to 9 milligrams per kilogram have been reported. Um, and probably, you know, use of an atomizer uh, may affect what dose you give. Um, we, here we have a more conservative range of 0.5 to 1, and this is from the dosing guide that Dr. Henry was talking about. But if you actually look down below, you can see here studies have used a pretty wide, have reported on a pretty wide variety. Um, and these are not studies just in the ED, but in general, military settings, pre-hospital settings, there's a pretty wide range. So let's look at the actual studies that have um, looked at intranasal ketamine in the emergency department. So the first two um, are mostly pediatric patient-based uh, studies. The Pitchfork uh, trial compared intranasal ketamine to fentanyl and found them both to be equivalent. Uh, there were more uh, adverse effects with the ketamine compared to the fentanyl, 78 versus 40%. Three patients had a moderate degree of sedation. Um, another study, more recent, 2016, uh, gave ketamine by drop. They didn't use an atomizer. Uh, but they still achieved a pretty good reduction in their pain scores. 79% uh, at the 15 minute mark, and you can see at 30 minutes, nearly a, basically 100% of their patients had a complete reduction in their pain scores, which is pretty dramatic. And again, more studies showing this. One study that got left off of our presentation here, but you have in your handout, um, is by these same authors, Yeman et al., 2014. They did an adult-only study looking at intranasal ketamine, and they actually found uh, the results weren't as good. They only had about a 54% reduction in pain scores. And again, that was looking at adults only. So taking all these into account, what's the bottom line? Ketamine, um, when used intranasally, uh, it looks like the studies are better uh, with pediatric patients than they are with adult patients. Again, this is based on very limited data, but for, it may be considered first line for kids because we've had such great um, 
reduction in pain scores. But for adults, we may want to consider it more as a second line um, option. Um, and patients who are poor responders to opiates or maybe opioid dependent, um, again, it's just not considered first line when you give it intranasally. So topical, oral, and sublingual ketamine, currently there's really no role in the emergency department for these uh, routes, at least not yet, perhaps in the future. We alluded to the multimodal pain management algorithms um, earlier uh, during the introduction. Um, ketamine is being uh, used as part of these various uh, algorithms, and we'll go over two of them from the ALTO program um, that Dr. LaPietera uh, created. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about why these algorithms um, are so important and why the EDs are looking at these type of treatment approaches. So they've, you know, this idea of multimodal treatments, again, it's not new. You know, it's mostly used in the perioperative setting, post-op setting. Um, it's basically taking advantage of synergistic effects between different medications, potentially allowing us to lower the doses of opioids or other medications that we may not want to give our patients um, due to side effects. So uh, being able to capitalize on the synergistic effects um, to overall produce good analgesia for our patient and reduce adverse events you know, is a very um, attractive uh, approach. And so EDs are starting to look at creating these type of algorithms. So Dr. LaPietera, sorry, uh, she will be giving a, a, a lecture tomorrow um, on acute pain management in the emergency department. And I'm sure she'll probably go into more detail about uh, these type of algorithms. But here are two sample algorithms. You can see intranasal ketamine is being used for extremity fracture. Um, as, and then IV ketamine is being used here for chronic um, radicular low back pain um, and patients who are opiate tolerant. And you can see ketamine is being used alongside other um, analgesic options. So I know this is pain week and we're here to talk about pain, but the topic is why do EDs love ketamine? So excited delirium, as we mentioned earlier in our background, um, seems like we're having more and more patients present in this state. You know, there's a lot more um, synthetic, a lot more potent synthetic opiates, sorry, synthetic opiate stimulants, uh, just drugs, illicit drugs in general um, that are being created. And um, with internet, it's much easier to get your hands on these, medic uh, on these illicit drugs. Um, so we're seeing more and more of these type of patients present to our emergency department, and EMS is having to deal with a lot of these patients. Uh, these patients can uh, pose a safety risk, and so um, ideally what we would like to do is try to put these patients, um, you know, put them, get them sedated so that we can perform our exam and make sure that everything, uh, an evaluation and make sure that we can um, ensure that they're not a harm to themselves and to others. Traditionally, what we've used are benzodiazepines and antipsychotics. Um, but now with ketamine, uh, ketamine provides a better option because we don't have to worry about problems with time to onset, elimination time, and then over-sedation that can happen with some benzodiazepines. So this table we looked at earlier comparing the different doses. You can see for procedural sedation and for excited delirium, the dosing is actually pretty much the same. So for when it comes to uh, using ketamine for excited delirium, um, 
monitoring requirements are not as straightforward as they are for procedural sedation. Joint Commission, there's hospital policies, national policies about what we should do for monitoring after a patient receives ketamine for procedural sedation. But what do we do when patients receive ketamine uh, for another indication, excited delirium, subdissociative dose ketamine? Um, when they receive it, you know, some patients are, uh, some places are using it for alcohol withdrawal. Um, you know, when ketamine is being used for these other indications, we haven't really figured out what the monitoring requirements, if any, um, should be in place. So a pretty large study looked at characterizing adverse events um, after use of ketamine in the emergency department. And overall, they found a pretty low adverse event rate. Most of the effects occurred within an hour. They were transient um, and pretty um, mild. There were no reports of laryngospasm, apnea, or any other more serious effects reported. About seven out of the 500 patients um, did experience hypoxia, but four of these seven patients also received hydromorphone. So whether the hypoxia was from the hydromorphone, which is probably more likely um, than the ketamine, it's not quite clear. But if you can see here, another study that looked at just hydromorphone and their hypoxia rate was 5%. So more than likely, it was the hydromorphone that was causing the hypoxia. Uh, again, small rates of emesis, 3.5% reported dysphoric reactions, but only three required intervention. Most of the other ones, through communication and talking them down, didn't require any other treatment. Uh, we talked about um, increased uh, intracranial pressure and how really, you know, this concept of us needing to worry about giving ketamine trauma patients or in patients who are worried about having increased um, pressure in their brain has really been just proven, especially in sedated, mechanically ventilated patients. So let's talk about ketamine and dysphoria. So typically we think of these type of reactions occurring at the higher dose range, you know, the disassociative range that we give for procedural sedation, but even at the lower doses that we're giving for subdissociative dose um, analgesia, we can still get some mild dysphoric reactions that occur. And again, that study that showed 84% of their patients would still receive ketamine again, just taking that extra step of communicating with your patients and letting them know, I'm giving you this medication, you may have these potential side effects, can go a long way um, towards preventing some of these um, uh, reactions or at least mitigating some of those effects. So when we talked about the different doses of ketamine, the first thing that you need to figure out is what you're using ketamine for. And it can be a little bit confusing. Are we giving this ketamine because we want to sedate the patient so that I can um, you know, do whatever procedure I need to do? Are we also doing it for analgesia? It can start to become a gray line when a patient comes in with, let's say, a fracture because they need something for analgesia and they may need something for sedation so that we can reduce the fracture or the dislocated fractured um, hip. So, you know, really knowing what it is that we're using this medication for and then proving, um, and then selecting the correct dose um, can prevent uh, potential side effects. So we already kind of discussed monitoring for when we use ketamine for procedural sedation, there's really strict guidelines about what to do. There's no question about how we should monitor them when they're safe for discharge. But what do we do when we use ketamine for these other indications? And again, ketamine is being used more and more in the ED setting for these other types of um, you know, settings. What do we do? And then what about when they're being given intranasally? Do we need to follow the same parameters? This is an example of uh, infusion uh, of a um, 
protocol that for nurses, um, when patients are being, uh, when they're started um, and then maintained on ketamine infusions for pain. This is actually from um, outside the U.S. It's at Royal Cornwall, Cornwall Hospitals. Um, and this is mostly for nurses. Um, it tells them when to check their vital signs, when to do sedation scores, that sort of thing. And basically, it gives them a step-by-step -step guideline about how to um, manage these patients while they're on a ketamine infusion. We don't have anything like this for the emergency, emergency department. And again, ketamine infusions are relatively new, um, so it may just be a matter of time. But in the meantime, um, you'll find very wide practice variability in what's being done um, at the different hospitals. So discharge planning, again, we know what to do when what's being given for procedural sedation. What do we do when it's being given for other reasons? So probably at the minimum, anytime a, a medication is being given to a patient, um, there's a few things that we should always make sure, you know, to make sure our patients are safe. Um, you know, take into account what medication they received, what comorbidities uh, may be at play, and maybe altering their ability to metabolize the medication or put them more at risk for apnea or um, other adverse events. Um, how are they going to go home? Are they ambulatory? Are they at their baseline? Could the medication, ketamine in this case, still be exerting its effect? These are all questions that we have to go through in our mind before we think about discharging the patient. So in summary, ketamine is rapidly gaining favor in the ED and EMS settings. It's relatively safe compared to some of our other treatment options. Um, we already have a comfort zone for using ketamine for years for procedural sedation, so naturally people feel safe when they use it for other indications. Um, there's a dramatic increase um, in, the, in the literature out there on ketamine for these other uses, like I mentioned, alcohol withdrawal. So people are using it for post-intubation sedation. Uh, post sedation. Um, there's Ketamine can be given through numerous routes, um, and there's a potential to avoid opioids, which is, um, you know, another uh, popular feature of ketamine given the opioid epidemic that's going on.